You got to forget your old friends from your old job. You got to start fresh. You can't just hang out with anybody. You're a proud Klingon. You can't have memories of your wife. You can only have the one picture because that's all you are able to afford in the negotiations with her agent. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, very Jedzia is outing the departure of the uh, actress who played Jedzia, who has a name that I should be able to say. But Terry Farrell. Thank you. Yes. Uh, yeah, no, apparently they could not use her. They couldn't use her in flashbacks, which also is like a huge disservice to the series at the finale when everyone's like having their oh, it's the everyone's worst. having their memories. Yeah. And Worf is like, cool. I don't apparently remember anything that happened on TNG or the first fucking six seasons of this show. Of course not. <laughs> Why would you? I mean, you wouldn't. Well, again, it's it's just a oh, hey, everybody. Welcome to Gay Space mm -hmm. Communism. <laughs> the only podcast that is, well, I mean, we at look, we advertise a lot of Orion Syndicate products here, and that's not our fault. It's just the context that the show exists in, and we appreciate you're using the quality goods of services. My name is, of course, Paul Byron. I'm Rachel Khan. I'm Corey Archibald. I'm Amy Hassel. And I'm currently photoshopping a picture of Elon Musk's face. <laughs> How's everybody else doing? Um, I guess I'm just hanging out waiting for the bell riots since you're making funny pictures of Chris Brenner from Brenner Information Systems. <laughs> yeah. That is the most what? charitable interpretation of Elon Musk's future. Look, a 900-year-old lady from the future comes back in time, seduces Elon Musk, and then he turns on a radio station is the best thing that could happen to him. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> It's definitely a lot better than he deserves. Is that what happened with Grimes? Uh, no, because the radius, it only took like a week. And I don't know, Grimes is that. Uh, uh, you know what? I don't want to talk about that. We got any other media functions to talk about. Actually, yeah, we do. Because we talk about what we've been watching. And what I've been watching is the damn SpaceX is exploding. It's great. Oh, it's so funny. The ships just, they keep calling it a success. And I suppose from a technical perspective, you accomplish what you wanted. But when it lands and explodes, you just say, you know what? Yeah, like it didn't do everything we wanted, but we did achieve these things. Don't call it a raging success. That's called a critical oversight. I learned that today. Ah. I was watching a video of um, massive amounts of foam exploding. <laughs> oh. Wow. So yeah, I've been watching the regular news, you know, your favorite science fiction dystopian story. What do y'all got? Well, I finally powered through and recovered from my deep emotional experience of watching Star Trek The Motion Picture and my continued quest to complete my chronological viewing of Trek. It's and such a page movie. There's so it much. It is. And it really like I, I really kind of had to marinate in that for a while and also had a lot of like real life stuff going on. So it took me a while to move beyond that. But I have just recently finished Wrath of Khan and Search for Spock and The Voice voyage home the uh, kirk and spock save the whales wow you're putting in work yep we call those that is star trek one the motion picture a christmas story star trek two <laughs> hey let's see if we can get ricardo back he was good uh star trek three oh shit we killed spock wait get him to direct uh star trek four sets why don't we just go outside and star trek five <laughs> sure we'll make another one yeah, that one's up next for me. I haven't I haven't watched that one yet. And I mean, I watched it like years and years ago, but I've watched it so long ago that I forgot everything about it. So Christopher it's like it's Lloyd. New. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Klingons are pretty terrible in these movies. Like <laughs> pretty cornball and just just wow. 
wearing blackface. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the Klingons kind of continued to wear blackface for a really long time, but also, objectively, the best era of Klingon was the hair metal era. Well, let me, let me ask you a question about plumber's putty makeup. Because if you take a white guy and you smear plumber's putty all over his face and then you put dark makeup on him, have you in fact not done blackface? First of all, what's plumber's putty? Help me you out know, with the, this. Like the, the, oh, the makeup wow. well, that's stuff. Still- Sorry, so understanding that this is a podcast full of podcast hosts and listened to by podcast listeners, putty is something you use when fixing <laughs> things or doing a home project. Well, that Play-Doh. Yeah, you fuse to yeah, fill oh, in okay. texture of Play-Doh, sort of create but a, waterproof. Yeah. Gotcha. So you just mean like the stuff they used for the ridges? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, okay, okay. the difference between like, oh my God, they're doing blackface and TOS and the like Caucasian people that are in Klingon makeup in TNG or DS9 is that they put a little putty on it too. <laughs> yeah, it's clearly not weird when Jeffrey Combs gets whitened up to be the weird Wayun. Mm. Yeah. Right? Like that way, the Wayun is fine, right? They no no problem. The Vorda. It's all mm-hmm. yeah, the Vorda is well there, he's just the way he's actually just Wayun six, isn't he? He's just Wayun six, seven, and eight. Mm-hmm. Um and it's okay when he's Brunt, but it starts to be less cool when he's it, it, yeah, he start it, who he's plays a Klingon, does he not? I mean, this is just a question I have to ask myself. You know, I don't know the answer to it, but like, are we still doing blackface in TNG when we put Caucasian actors in Klingon makeup? Probably. I mean, it is a different question when you are blending a giant prosthetic onto a face as you are with some of the Klingons, as opposed to in TOS when they are just painting them brown, which is unacceptable, which is like, yeah. They're literally doing the Cowboys and Indians thing in TOS, you know? And yeah. and they do like it is a very funny blow off they do in DS9 for it too. Where they're like, Worf, what's up with that? Like, we don't talk about it. Like, cool, you're right. <laughs> let's fucking Yeah, you know, like let's not talk about it. You're right. Let's focus on y'all got your asses kicked by the tribbles. <laughs> oh, no, those are it's challenging. Well, that wasn't what we were gonna talk about today. <laughs> no, 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 but it is interesting. We get partial credit for that, right? <laughs> Well, I mean, no, that's it. But that is one of the features of the movies, right? Is that transition to like, oh, hey, what if we just cast black actors? Is this is that better or just lighten up some of them? Because like it's weird. Yeah. But out of that phase into the next where they're like, all right, we understand some of this isn't working. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it's a lot of it had to do with the performance, to be honest, for me, like. Maybe I'm just a sentimentalist. Maybe it's just because I love Worf so much, even though he's problematic in lots of different ways. He's still one of my favorite characters. And to me, he's kind of the standard for what a Klingon is supposed to be. And, you know, when you see really, really huge deviations from that, it's hard to to power through. Um, so yeah. I I definitely did not enjoy Christopher Lloyd's uh, rendition of Klingon. I think the more that Klingons became their own thing rather than just like mapping like the Hollywood savage into sci-fi, you know, yeah. it became a lot better. Yeah, for sure. And and that's probably one of the reasons why I like Worf so much is because all of our exploration of Klingon culture is through his experience. Yeah. Well, and also like he's such a fleshed out character. 
But I actually, I really liked the way they played with Balana's Klingon heritage too. You know, like they let her, I guess, kind of have a complex about it, which was kind of cool and good. Like, yeah, for sure. Because there's so much in-universe racism, right? And that's like against Klingons or Andorians or like literally whoever, Ferengi or super racist everybody, you know, and that's just like sort of a thing that everybody takes for granted in that universe. Right. And I guess, you know, it, it was, I think, intended to be like a, I don't know, like a um, analog, right? To like our racism and especially during like the 90s. I am kind of offended at y'all's disrespect for Takuma and folks' sacrifices to fucking keep the Klingon Empire together. It's just terrible. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a I'm a disco novice. Uh, yeah, no, they really. I think I think this sort of stems from where that started, which was that the Klingons you grow up with are the Klingons you love. I mean, nobody loves yeah. the fucking the original ones, but there was not a lot of crying about. Yeah, yeah, let's make them less racist. That's good. They're alien aliens now. Like they have weird heads. That's better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, like, yeah. But yeah, that the idea that like it's sort of like with Saturday Night Live, where Lauren Michaels himself has said, your favorite era of Saturday Night Live is when you were in the eighth grade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how true that is, but yeah. Who's watching Saturday Night Live now, though? Oh, I mean, nobody. Uh, but when I was a kid, I was watching it in reruns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everyone who does media commentary, which is where everyone else then watches them, is the morning after, I think. Mm. Yeah. Hey, Hive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, great. Please don't anger the Borg. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> anyway, we were talking what about what we're watch? watching. Yes. Yeah, I talked about movies. <laughs> I'm going to shut up. <laughs> oh, that's good. We had a good, that's a good fluff. I like, we had a good, we had a good time there. Um, we got problematic and back. Oh, anybody else been doing good cartoons lately? Doing good. Watching, watching, I'm sorry, watching anything fun on television. I have really reduced myself to an in-house patois in many regards. Understandable. Y'all, I canceled Netflix. Wow. I'm trying to get backed up to move, and I have reduced myself to just a a couple choice Star Trek films on my old desktop. Interesting. (laughs) What, uh... Somehow. What is what what choices? What made you want to do that? Or, like, why did you want to cancel Netflix? Well, I'm trying to like nickel and dime my way into saving a little bit of money. And mm. yeah, mm-hmm. I've been playing much more music lately. So it just kind of like made sense. I'm getting offered a, a share in Netflix, which I might take advantage of, but I just need to be a little more. Productive. No, you're not. No, yeah. that's no, nothing like that happens. <laughs> so, so I'm trying to know does that. not advocate the sharing of passwords, but you should definitely whatever that. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you still have your ex-girlfriend, your boyfriend's mom's password from five or seven years ago, keep doing it. It's fine. <laughs> no one could stop you. They can stop. Um, they will. Anyway. Can and will. Yeah. Everybody right now, go change your Netflix password. <laughs> Please don't change your Netflix passwords. I need you to stop. <laughs> change your Netflix passwords to don't steal. Change your Netflix passwords to gay space communism or remain Klingon and we'll be able to figure that out. Yeah, uh, yeah, there we go. Solidarity. <laughs> what choice? What are the choices of movies? I guess is the question I have since we're since we're here that you've made. Well, I've started with First Contact because that was my gateway Star Trek movie. Wow, and you stuck with it, huh? Well, I had years of TNG under my <laughs> belt already, you know? uh, but I'm struck with half of the time the cast is trying, and half mm. of the time they're they're totally bored. Yeah. And it's like, did they have like a second contract negotiation and everybody started getting paid or something? Like, <laughs> there's this one, like, Beverly Crusher in one scene, she's just like, ah, two to beam directly to sickbay. And like, two scenes later, she's like, 
into running away from the Borg, you know, like sweating and doing the dialogue right. And it's like, what happened? Um, well, Jonathan Frakes directing did fine, but it's <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, no, apparently the initial they initially wanted to set that film in the European Renaissance, which would have been adorable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing a whole holodeck movie. Come on, gang. <laughs> oh boy. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh, oh no, it's, that's that's definitely the movie. Oh, it's again. But, I mean, you know, like there's there's no accountant for my taste because you know I don't think Generations is that bad. So you know, yeah, and you gotta <laughs> stop saying that. On Corey, <laughs> we're gonna. Edit Frankly, you I'm now. fine it's with not Generations. That bad. I don't think it's that bad either. I think it's people exaggerate how bad it is. Look, I love the villain. I mean, it's I above love Nemesis. It's well, sh okay. <laughs> Is it better than the J.J. Abrams movies? See, that's the question, is it's borderline. Mm. Um, <laughs> oh. Oh. Shots like, fired. No, no, I mean, I'm just I'm just dropping hot takes to anger the audience. They might like it fine. They might. It's not the best, though. All right. So I think we've 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 run through the uh, captain's logs, as it were, of our viewing histories. What do we we have other business here. Do we? Wait, did you talk did about, you what talk you're about your stuff? Oh, I said I've been watching the news. Oh, right. <laughs> and Rachel, oh, what are you? Boring. Well, I mean, we also got the fucking thing stuck in the in the tube, which was hilarious. God, I'm trying to think about like what Star Trek I've even been watching lately. I went back and watched the end of DS9 again. Like uh, very end or like the whole the like, whole no, season? Like like the, the last the last like seasons. half. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Because like when I started watching DS9, it was kind of like right at the beginning of lockdown. And when I got to that point, I was like, this is too depressing. I need less depressing in my life. And so here we are. And now I'm like finally going back for it again. And it's still really good. I mean, you know, it's they just did a whole movie with the last couple seasons, a whole several movies. DS9 holds up. Mm hmm. They knew yeah. what they had before it was gone in DS9. Yeah. You can't say that for TOS and you can hardly say that for TNG. I'm here for the Garak and Quark detective show still. Call me fucking CBS, please. I will try not to swear during the show. Like <laughs> in the in the script, like in a place, I guess I can edit that out before the actors say it, but you get the idea. Yeah, we're doing like a detective. It's like a 20 detectives. It's they both run stores, but they're also detectives upstairs. I don't know, set on a different space station. Yeah. So before we decided to all hop on the stream together, Amy posed a really intriguing question, and that was the main thing we wanted to talk about today. So Amy, you want to you want to kick us off? So we were kind of leading in talking about the Mirror Universe and how the, the kind of Star Trek universe compares itself to the Mirror Universe. And, you know, it's not evil and it's not exactly the opposite of the prime universe and it's not evil doubly because it's not the opposite of the prime universe and the prime universe isn't isn't but but more importantly like what what makes it like what it is and what i'd proposed is that it's a this is your brain on capitalism situation you know okay or or you know when scarcity is the mirror universe is well that's not fair to scarcity right like <laughs> scarcity in, <laughs> scarcity in theory exists until a point of technological competence, right? Like in, I guess like, I'm talking like perception of scarcity, you know, like the, the capitalist um, yeah. manufactured well, I mean, scarcity. 
Because I take mm. that from like a Buckminster Fuller approach, right? Where you can look at like the moon landing as a rough analog for, no, no, we have no fucking excuse anymore. We have the complete mastery over our environment and could absolutely provide for everyone if we sat down to do it. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, is it like sort of basic level of post-scarcity argument, but we have to reach that point. And we have. And Star Trek sort of exists in that wake, especially like the very early series. But it is, yeah, it is the perpetuation of that, of the push that there is, that these are good values, I guess. I would, I see it more as like the rational actor gone wild, which is still your brain on capitalism, but not necessarily the scarcity, but the like sort of rational actor fallacy of economics, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody cooperation is bad. It's a hard objectivists. They're all Randians. Yeah. There's no like yeah, like the the uh, what does Giorgio say? It's the Rand universe. Oh, the uh, what, universe. there's a Giorgio quote, right, or something about it. Basically, she just said she says something that um, freedom, equality, and cooperation are quote destructive ideals that fuel rebellions, and that's true. Those are, I mean, they're not just dis- they are destructive, right? But the destructive creative component. And that feels like part of it, right? They've rejected those things is as destructive because often they are, or they are to capitalism. Well, so I have a thought. I wanted to just challenge or, or examine a little more closely the idea of what is called the mirror universe being, you know, representing capitalism kind of personified in Trek. And I, I think the immediate pushback I have is in Trek, the, the race that is the most capitalistic are the Ferengi, as we know. But in the mirror universe, so you would think that in in a universe where capitalism is king, you would think that the Ferengi would be kind of at the top of their game. But when you look especially at the DS9 mirror universe episodes, the, the Ferengi are, they're highly reduced in rank, in stature. They're almost enslaved to the system. And they are far less powerful than you might imagine they would be in a system that really operates on that value set. And so I'm just wondering how we reconcile those two things. Well, I, I will never stop talking about the great material flow, the great material continuum, rather. This is the Ferengi worldview, that there is a lack of things on some planets and a surplus of those on others. And if you operate your ship with entrepreneurial skill and grace, you can move the surpluses to the wants and make a profit in the process. It is not compatible with the Terran worldview because it is inherently is equitable. Right. It, the point of the Ferengi activity is to make sure there is no want and no waste. It is aiming for an efficient distribution. The Terrans are fucking putting on operas to celebrate their mycelial superstations for the Queen's birthday. And everyone's like, this is boring and stupid, but we all have to be here. Well, including like the Empress, like, yeah, who also like, doesn't I, want to be there. Yeah. I have to come give a poem and almost get stabbed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I feel like. It's hard to suss. And this is kind of a more abstract thing just about like culture generally. But it's hard to tell like to what extent capitalism creates our culture and to what extent our culture creates capitalism, you know, because they kind of mutually reinforce each other. And I think with the Terran universe, like I think the Terran universe could just as easily be like authoritarian communist. In terms of like the just ferocity of competition, in terms of the sort of amorality of it, like that neither of those are tied to specific like economic alignments, right? That well, being that, said, that's actually exactly what Paul was showing us earlier in the chat. That's exactly mm-hmm. what Spock did in the Mirror Universe. You know, yeah, did like a Frederick the Great enlightened liberalism. Yeah, so let's let's, let's, let's actually just 
Yeah, dig out dig out the episodes because that's a good place to get at some of the details so we can get into what is and is not capitalism about this or it, what is it even, right? Like, because I think might be right but like yeah so that's that's mirror mirror that's the first the first mirror <laughs> universe episode where a transporter accident takes kirk and uhura and bones if i'm right to just the wrong place and they lock up all they and like the beauty of this is the on the other side of the universe they're like oh yeah we noticed these guys were assholes and we put them all in jail um but yeah you get the expect the open the sort of situation where open hostility is acceptable you're just allowed to stab whoever uh sulu's got a sweet facial scar and every woman has their midriff exposed because you know belly buttons they're from space well and also like uh how did spock get to where he could implement those reforms he was Kirk's uh, right-hand man. He's he's so... the uh, the emperor's. Well, Kirk becomes the emperor because he has a plot device. Device. It's basically a television screen that lets him murder whoever he wants, and the only reason he lives is because his concubine loves him so much. So it's a very bad episode. But the idea of an evil place is very much what they introduce there. And like, but yeah, Spock C is mind melts with with McCoy and is given the idea of liberal. He's, I mean, basically, Kirk says this is an a, not a resilient system. It will fail. Uh, you will constantly be at war and you will lose. And that that gets taken forward. And like in DS Nine, we learn that those. Changes Changes were instituted and the Terran Empire is crushed. I guess what I'm what I'm getting at is there's like a lot of bodies between Spock and being able to do that good thing, you know, that didn't work out in the end. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it ended a brutal empire, but like by sucking, which is kind of the weird lesson is one of the lessons in like some hello. Is everyone else here? I'm here. Yeah, I'm here. I'm just like letting you talk. I'm here. Sorry, I, I'm trying to stop. So like I. I <laughs> <laughs> But I think, yeah, I don't know. It speaks to the love of fascism that Star Trek can have sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they do love some fascism. They keep going back to that theme. It's a little bit of envy, you know? Like, oh, the uniforms. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, what is it? I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but what is Star Trek's obsession with Nazis? Like, they just keep showing up. Okay, so some of this is absolutely CBS's thing where they had, you're living on a studio lot, you're at Universal Studios CBS, that's Westinghouse money, but you have a big pile of just uniforms for period piece movies. You've got Roman outfits and cowboy outfits and stages out back that you're just like, all right, we'll set them up. We'll all put all the guys in cowboy outfits and we'll cowboy planet. I mean, that explains that explains, that explains, TOS, produ- it that explains production, but not nothing else, you know, like. but it, but especially it explains kind of the decisions that were made during the TOS time frame. But when you start talking about Enterprise, where they like build entire story arcs around the Nazis, like winning and invading America, it's just it just starts to get weird. Like, I don't, I don't know. To me, that kind of actually relates to the idea like we're presented with this concept that the mirror universe is inherently and entirely evil and it's called the mirror universe because it is the opposite of trek so if mirror universe is bad then you know prime universe is good 
And, you know, as we've talked about a lot on this podcast, there are a lot of things in, you know, the regular prime universe of Trek that are, are very problematic. A lot of colonialism going on, lots of forced labor, lots of just really, really problematic stuff happening that continues to be not only just sort of tolerated, but even seems to be integral to the functioning of that society. And so you kind of have to reject out of hand that it's entirely good and mirror universe is therefore entirely bad. And I think DS9 really does the best job of exploring the more nuanced view of what mirror universe even means, that there are valid struggles in both timelines, both universes, so to speak. Yeah, DS9 kind of applies the Star Trek things bend towards good in the long run ethos to the mirror universe. Like... Well, and George sort of, O points out, as George O points out, they don't call it the mirror universe. They just live there, you know, like. Right. They, well, and George O talks about this a lot, you know, like mirror George O, I mean, like they'll talk about the mirror universe, or whatever. And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> You're the mirror universe, which is a very like her, first of all. But also, I think it does really illustrate that point very nicely, right? Like people become heroes or villains as much because of their conditions as anything else. And I mean, you even see that like there are points where George O steps up and becomes a hero after being moved to a different universe. And it doesn't just change her behavior in that universe when she goes back and has that second shot she takes those lessons with her and i think that is also an important lesson right like when we're talking about like tending towards good in the long run i think it's because generally speaking people don't like pain you know people will inflict pain or tolerate pain if they feel like it's strictly necessary and unavoidable which is how it's always sold in the mirror universe but if you show them better options most people do not actually enjoy like receiving or inflicting pain I'm reminded suddenly of um, some study, some analysis of some studies I heard about actual bayonet charges. Basically, hardly any of them ever made contact. Yeah, because I got to stab a guy with a thing. Yeah, once humans had the option yeah. of not actually being up close in person when inflicting or getting pain, the aversion to doing that like expanded so rapidly that within like a generation you couldn't find a person just in the ranks that was willing to do that anymore well i'm not sure if you've heard the phrase defensive wounds but they don't sound awesome well, <laughs> and even now the majority of soldiers don't pull the trigger like even when they're in an active fight or shoot up right how many shots are shot up you know yeah yeah exactly and it's like that's that's for reasons right we don't like to hurt each other it feels bad and it should it should feel bad to hurt each other it should feel awful to kill each other yeah. and there's only like one percent less aversion to doing that kind of pain to someone else as there is to getting it yourself you know yeah, yeah. Well, of course, right? Because like we have mirror neurons while we're speaking of mirrors, right? And when we look at another person and we see something happening to them, there is a part of our brain that immediately maps it to our own body. You know, so if you just shot somebody, you can't not map that to yourself. Well, no, it's why people who can't watch like super gory kind of action and like combat stuff is like, oh, no, this is good. What you're having is the proper response to the stimuli that yeah. the rest of us love it is probably wrong. Well, I, I think the point that you made, Rachel, about Giorgio really kind of exploring the nuances there and, and carrying those lessons back and forth, I think that also applies to Captain Lorca. I mean, we obviously, we didn't know in the beginning of Discovery that Lorca was from Mirror Universe, and we find that out later. But he did some good things 
in his time. I really loved uh, Mean Dad Lorca. I want to say it. I stand. I yeah. I am a big fan. Like I like that they're not all Picard. I like a Mean Dad. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, you know, we're a fucking combat ship, and we're gonna wail on the goddamn Klingon. I'm like, great, yeah, get in there, Mean Dad. Shit, like, fuck. I mean, yeah, they kind of like once they discovered and and discovery discovered. Ha, get it. Um, hey. <laughs> once they outed him as you know, mirror universe guy, then they kind of retconned it and reimagined all of his actions as inherently and entirely evil in like the early part of season two with, yeah. you know, Pike coming in like, oh, I'm going to be the, the good guy captain now. You know, mm. this is a brand new day. But like, really, well, yeah, Lorca was problematic as fuck. But, you know, mm-hmm. still, he, he did some good things in his time. And it's hard to say just based on kind of the two dimensional picture we were given there at the end, like what the totality of his motivations were. But I think if we had had more time with him the way that we have with Giorgio, that we would have been able to explore that and see it more. Hmm. You know, evil people can do good things too. You know, like there isn't really a lot of rhyme or reason to quote unquote evil or good people beyond whether you approve of the pattern of behavior or disapprove of the pattern of their behavior. We can talk about sort of like inherent evils of harming other people or whatever and non-aggression pacts. And we can talk about sort of, I guess, gestures towards universal ethics, right? But at the end of the day, we can only decide whether somebody is good or evil in retrospect. And even then, it's about weighing the scales, right? So that sort of more nuanced approach, I, I think it's important. Shitty people think they love their kids, right? Like, they don't think, yeah. I'm bad. They're like, no, I'm doing what's right. It's just what I think is right is is not in alignment with other people's values. And it's really hard to say that's wrong when everything, that all your institutions are crumbling. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, and we were actually, for those who watch not safe for walks we were hanging out with left flank vets last night talking specifically about this and i mean it's like people are just doing what they think the hero should do for the most part or i gotta make the hard choice no one else will and do the thing it's like okay but but you know you've just decided to murder somebody yeah that's weird what like also if you can figure out exactly when that happened based on the release of this episode like you totally deserve a lollipop that's know, like right? super fan stuff tweet, tweet at us with the episode number we will get you a lollipop somehow yeah yeah we will but no i uh look i'm like contractually obligated to talk about our other shows it's part of my job no, do, it. Look, do it look look love it. Do it like i just have to do it because it's Look, I think this is this is the mirror mirror episode. We are full on capitalist. Buy our merch. Yeah. Give us your money, <laughs> please. Yeah. Selling it, things is not inherently capitalist. I look, just fucking go with it. Fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to help out. <laughs> I don't know. Um. So yeah, no, but like it's this sort of. I wanted to talk about this as well. This is the weird fascism fascination. The idea that yeah. fascism is efficient and that's that is what it brings is a major fallacy of Star Trek. Right. It is still a scarcity variant mindset, but it is not limited to that. Right. There is a lot of about the way Star Trek works. It's it is still in the mindset of, well, the Nazis did make the trains run on time when like they didn't. Right. Like every measure of that afterwards said, no, actually, the fascists were only really good at murdering people. And they, they can make big guns to do it and like produce a very they could produce various things that did that very well. But everything else suffered. And it's like the, every psychology PhD, yeah. like, wow, I, I spent five years and it's exactly what I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I mean, you see this in the Nazi episode where that one very specifically, a historian was teaching that culture. Yeah, you guys should be not literally the Nazis because that is how you make a society operate efficiently. And it's something that carries through to the rest. Like, I think that the mirror universe shows it as well because, like, they are clearly get Nazier as they further move into a sort of discovery and they get more costuming budget because it's not just, well, this is the leftover color swatches we have. So make them into deep V-neck vests for the captain. Give everyone a knife. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But I also think there's a difference between, like, I guess, fascination and approval or liking. Like, I'm not sure that their fascination with fascism necessarily means they like it or approve Fascismation. Of it, right? Nope. I'll come back around with it. I believe Sorry. in you. Well, yeah, no, and again, I love the show. We're not here to say Star Trek's fascist, but yeah, it that relationship, right. it is, it is a, yeah, you're, it's a weird relationship they have. Mm -hmm. But I kind of get it, right? Because I think, you know, when this was first being conceived, when like Star Trek was first being conceived, you know, it was not too far removed from the Second World War and from the Holocaust. And since then, it has sort of been the ultimate representation of fascist evil in our culture ever since then, right? Uh, and I mean, this is a an inference, but inferring from sort of other things I know about Roddenberry, it wouldn't surprise me if that particular sort of fascination came from, you know, directly wanting to understand it and being horrified by it, you know? Uh, yeah, I come back to this one. What if there was a war so bad that we stopped doing wars? Yeah, exactly. But we do like Guernica every fucking day now. Yeah, because that works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah. you're at the point where, oh, no, you just fucking push it into the background, just make it small and weirdly isolated that, and make people volunteer. And now it's drones. Yeah, and every generation of Star Trek since then, you know, has been iterating on that first model. So I don't know. It, it makes sense to me, right? Like, we are always trying to process other people's shitty behavior and make sense of it. Well, they're so much like us. How could this have happened to them? Was the question has yeah. been the question of academia for ger about Germany and sort of about fascism for the whole uh, my whole yeah. Life. And of course, the answer is it's just really, really easy to get people to be shitty to each other. Actually, all you have to do is talk to them and convince them that somebody else is an other and that they're from an out group and that they're dangerous. And there you go. Like, in fact, it is a lot easier to get people to hate each other than to get people to like each other. Well, sure. If you got all those beautiful golden sashes. Yeah, I'd fall, well, fall right in line behind those those mirror universe officers. No, I'm sorry. I got well, so to to that point about um, does Star Trek approve of Nazis? Well, maybe look at like the three or four times that there was a fascist esque coup attempt within the Federation. You know, like a couple times a general tried to take over. You know, and um, what does that say? Well, I think it shows that the Trek universe does not approve <laughs> because those situations were always presented as a, a thing to be defeated. You know, certainly, like if you think about the TNG episode where I think this was what season one, where um, there's like the little worm like creature that latches onto the brainstem and starts to control senior members, senior officers in the Federation or senior officers in Starfleet. Which is actually and, uh, um, a riff off of a Heinlein story um, yeah. called The Puppet Masters. Yeah. So there's there's that kind of thing. There's like you said, there's several examples, but it it's always presented in the context of this is not good and it should be fought it's against out, and it's out of alignment with Star Trek values. Yeah. 
that these right, people are exactly. interpreting so, what we're trying to do and are doing it wrong, not, or at least, yeah, at least one hope it sort of read, reads that way. Like even the Maquis, even, even if you take the concept of the Maquis as like, these are people who have been forcibly displaced from their homes and they're fighting against a colonial oppressor who is trying to forcibly relocate them. You know, even presented in such sympathetic terms, the Maquis are still clearly painted as terrorists who must be eradicated. Are the Maquis Zapatistas? Maybe a little bit. Are they space Zapatistas? They kind of do have space Zapatista energy. And that would explain why I'm so into Chakotay. That makes one of us. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> they're cooler than, you know, East Block freedom fighters, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and honestly, I think the fact that Star Trek always presents fascism as like a bad thing, right? Makes it all the more compelling when they themselves tread into fascism, right? Because it really underscores you can be very, very against something and still doing it, you know, <laughs> like without even realizing, you know, if you don't have a sufficient comprehension of what something actually is. You know, if you don't understand, I guess, power in the abstract like that, it's very easy to start leveraging power over people and coercing people without even realizing you're doing it. Well, I mean, that's that's really the logic behind Section 31, isn't it? Like you can have a little bit of fascism as a treat. Hey, look, just keep your eye on the fucking prize, science boy. We'll be over here in the dark suits popping brain stems and you can keep along with your little mission there. Sorry, that uh, I'm sorry. Who was that? <laughs> Nothing. Nobody. But I mean, ultimately, that, that I mean, that's their case, right? That is the use case for them, right? It's like, no, no, you can't actually accomplish what you're doing. Is their point, or at least like you can't because you can't tell what Section 31's involvement is with anything. Well, I mean, it's the it's the few good men, Colonel Jessup argument. The you know, you need me on that wall, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, they do. Oh, man, I'm just thinking about the episode of DS9 that is just straight up the spy who came in from the cold where they do the double switch around like double the double betrayal and the spy oh, with the Romulans. In, yeah. And the spy is the Romulan Federation spy is still there, but they've set all of it up in motion to make him feel like he's revealing them. But the, da, 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 da. It, it's yeah. Spy who came from the cold. It's a fucking amazing John LeCar movie. It's all in black and white. Takes forever. Everyone's always drinking and smoking. Sorry. Please go on. It's my kind of movie. They have a love of it. They have a, it's weird. It is a weird dynamic and relationship. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the Mirror Universe episodes were intended in their original conceptualization. They were they were meant to show the contrast and to amplify the goodness of the Prime Universe. But what it ultimately ends up doing is proving that nothing is that black and white. That you know, that uh, we are susceptible to any of the things that are good or bad. And it comes down to the choices that we make and our value set. It's it's presented like it's supposed to be a very clear delineation of good and evil. And it and it just isn't. And I don't know if that's my reaction to it as a viewer or if there was more nuanced storytelling going on all along. Well, I think you can chalk that up to just you being smarter than Roddenberry. <laughs> well, you having been born after 40 years of discourse that happened after he died uh, is another way to... <laughs> yeah, that's that's a bigger factor, I think. Well, 20, like, okay, not that long. Be but fair like, I mean, about it, fine. <laughs> well, I mean, it's we. this is the, the theme of the show. Look, they're trying. <laughs> so, to kind of shift topic a little bit, 
because we are sort of going back and forth about, you know, prime and mirror universe people can be, you know, better or worse depending on contexts or whatever. Who do you think is actually cooler in the mirror universe? Like, for example, I think Mirror Kira is pretty fucking fun. I would party <laughs> with her. Yeah, I was going to go with Kira, too. Right? She's kind of just cooler. Or maybe it's just that I have a thing for, like, Dom energy, but... I mean, I... she's gayer by, like, a lot. She's definitely gayer. And perhaps this is just the bisexual thing, right? Because they always code bisexuals as villains and blah, blah, blah. Well, the mirror universe is remarkably poly and bi, right? Like, they're very sexually liberated, yeah, yeah. which is... A, and, like, Starfleet is too sort of... Because, like, they're very open and, like, relationshipy, datey, and, like, very clear about when they're breaking up and how that's going to be fine, and they can all work together because they're on a TV show. But it is a different kind of... Like, man, everyone is gay and having sex with each other in the mirror universe in Deep Space Nine and onward. Well, and it's funny because that's kind of, like you were saying anathema to the original spirit of like Roddenberry's personal non-monogamy. So like framing that as something weird and strange or whatever, to me seems like actually a deviation from the original model. And in some ways, probably because of the sort of moral panics we've had recently about, you know, marriage and the sanctity of marriage and the assimilation of queer culture and queer marriage. Hi, I want to back up and like, let's normalize Gene Roddenberry getting laid a lot because <laughs> wow, we really could be shattering this nerd image. Like, wow. Well, and but he did it. Gene Roddenberry did it like his generation did, just like Heinlein did, just like everybody else did. They were very open. They were exploring sex positivity, but socially they were heterosexual to the, the yeah. kind of preserving a masquerade, right? But poly couples still do this, right? And and oh yeah, all the time. Like socially heterosexual couples that are actually just two bisexual people, or in my case, for ten years or so, apparently straight trans women dating woman women. You know, <laughs> um, like right. these are I don't know. I, I feel some camaraderie with his experience because of that sort of thing. I agree. And I mean, it's kind of funny because people still within the queer community will try and like debate whether being poly is queer. And that always is so funny to me because it's like, I don't know, can you get your kids taken away for it? Yes. Can you lose a job if people find out? Yes. And like, are you consciously choosing to be in love with multiple people? No, it is an orientation. It is a love style, right? It's the kind of thing that like just happens and you can choose to embrace it or not. Um, the fact that women date men yeah. is all the proof you need that sexuality oh, is not Tell a choice. <laughs> Seriously. Tell me about it. So, Rachel, you were talking about how fun Mira Kira is and how she's so super gay and, and very poly. And it actually made me think, what would a Mira Luxana Troy be like? Because we never meet one. Exactly the same. <laughs> exactly the same. And this is why. It's because Loxana Troy changes for no one. <laughs> she is exactly who she is all of the time. If you put her literally anywhere, she would be exactly the same because she practices radical honesty. Yeah, right. That's true. All of the time. That is inherent to their culture because they just read minds and shit. So, yeah. Okay, so having dipped a little bit into the TNG Mirror Mirror comics, which are really good, like Data starts putting Borg shit on his arms, and Troy is like a witch. She's basically well, what uh, Barkley calls her a mind witch, but she is used as an aggressive piece in that, which is way interesting way to take her. But obviously, I we tend to not get into the weird canon, but there are fun explorations of her pushing her powers and sort of using them in a weird, in a very, a much more manipulative way. 
Can next season just be Majel Barrett appreciation cast? Seriously. Seriously. If she was still alive, I'd want to get her on the pod. I want to tell you two people who don't change when they cross over at all. And those are those are two vital staff from the Enterprise NX-01. Malcolm, the baby British fash, and um, Phlox, whose morality has always been kind of vague, who invents the agony booth which is one of the best things that yep. ever happens to that planet. And he basically would have invented it in regular Enterprise if there'd been some call to torture the clone he made of Trip. Well, because like Phlox is the kind of scientist who will do a thing just to see if he can. Yeah, he looks great so in the curious. black coat, like the black plastic lab coat. You're like, oh, you're going to do an operation. This is bad. Well, here's my thought, y'all, is we are actually in the mirror universe. And the proof of this, the, the one example we have left from the split is the unaired pilot go on well the unaired pilot by which you mean the menagerie mm -hmm. with major barrett as as the first officer number one not the shat as captain <laughs> oh because you know you're that. in the good universe when the shat ain't captain <laughs> I'm willing to hear with this, but let's. I'm, I'm kind of curious now as to what happened to Jeffrey Hunter. Oh, he had a quite he had, he had uh, Oh wow! Oh, that was it. That was basically the end of his career. That sucks. Oh, he the poor guy. He did. He did some. He, he was in some Bob Hope movies. He was set to make Band of Brothers, but then passed away. But basically, he was in the nineteen sixty. Oh, that was in nineteen sixty four when that was written. So that. So he did actually have. I'm sorry. I apologize to the the storied career of Mr. Jeffrey Hunter. He filmed that episode in nineteen sixty four, and then proceeded to make a bunch of very popular movies, and was almost in one of the best movies that. Well, one of the movies that everyone calls very good. So. That's very interesting that he could have just he could have been this guy though. Yeah, he's like a, like the mirror universe captain of the Enterprise, where like they actually do gay space communism, where there's still Spock, but like Spock smiles, and there's still Number One, but it's like freaking major freaking goddamn Barrett. I mean that that this this planet I sit on is Terra is not escaped me as a possibility. I feel like. Oh, mm. the choice now, is ours, I suppose. Now, for this theory to make sense, the Shat is clearly an agent from the the Mirror Universe trying to implement, you know, the Mirror Universe split because it's a temporal Cold War, of course. And Major Barrett has to be a time agent as well. So a thing I've always wondered about these calculations they make, right, when they do like time travel and stuff, because you have to, whenever you talk about time travel, not just move through time, but also space. Yeah. Right, because Absolutely. like everything moves all of the time. Yeah, if you went to right here, right now, the Earth would actually. If, if you went to right where you are a second ago, the Earth would have spun well outside of, well away from you in that moment. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, you'd end up inside of a like mountain or something, or in lava or magma or whatever. I have a question. What would we be like in the mirror universe? I guess we would be in prime given this, you know, the other, the other universe again, that's, it's very disrespectful to call either of them mirror. I think a Futurama did well with uh, universe a and universe one. Mm -hmm. What would we be doing? Yeah. I think I would have to start with rejecting the premise that the two universes are good versus evil. So I would imagine things that I would like to do with my life that I haven't yet done might be things that I have achieved in the other universe. So maybe I'm a published yeah. author. I don't know. It's hard to say. I would hope that I would be more liberated personally. I feel like given 
that our mirror universe, the other one from us, right, uh, would be like the good one in as much as it has the functioning society, which I know you're going to reject. The one with the functioning society, right? I feel like I would probably have just been a scientist, honestly. Because like all I ever wanted to do was be a scientist. I never wanted to like be an activist, right? Like I wanted to study the brain and I wanted to like help people heal. I wanted to be a doctor, like a medical doctor, right? And I feel like if we had lived in a functioning society that actually had like support for disabled people, medical care uh, that prioritized like women's health at all and diseases that most commonly affect women. You know, if any of those things were true, I probably would not have ended up here like at all. Yeah, no, I would agree with but that. But I also might have ended up being a really insufferable little shithead too, because like I don't know, like definitely the hardships I've been through have humbled me. So I don't know. I don't know. I would say definitely if if we're assuming the other universe is the one where we're more free to pursue our passions, then I certainly would not have ended up on some of the career tracks that I have. I might have been able to, like when I, I studied theater for 16 years and even went to college for that. And then after I got out of college, it's like, well, time to start earning a paycheck and started working regular jobs and you know 22 25 years later here I am and I think that I would have certainly pursued more artistic interests if I had had that economic liberty that's funny that I would have pursued less artistic ones and you would have pursued more artistic ones see I think in the prime universe I would end up being like transgender Boothby but like in the mirror universe I would end up being like you know, super influential madam. <laughs> Love it. I've tried to keep my accomplishments minimal enough that any alteration either way would be almost indistinguishable. <laughs> <laughs> the professor that taught me thermodynamics in college is like, has this little internet following about reducing your con- contribution to the heat death of the universe. Extremely confident that Mirror Universe Paul would just be like some kind of lascivious polyamorous sex demon. It's a perfect inversion to this person who currently is, you know, extremely body negative and, you know. I'm not body negative. It's just stop describing the problems you have that you have to go to the doctor about to me in regular conversation. It's horrible. That's not even kind of way. <laughs> we were talking about mouths one time or something. Yeah, yeah mouths are gross holes full of bones. That is true. Mouths are gross. I mean, every part of the body is gross when you look at Thank it in the abstract. You. We're just we're thinking meat. <laughs> it's not body negativity. It's it's body realism. <laughs> um all right, so so all right, so the Amy, you got me thinking, right? This so the Shatner transformation. I think you may be right, but you may actually it may not have been Shatner himself. It may have been someone who transitioned his career because there's a couple of moments in that time period where he could have been picked up in big shit, like he was in a lawyer show with Jessica Walter uh, that only lasted a season. He was in a series called Alexander the Great with Adam West uh, that got turned out and turned off. But if that had been picked up, that could have kept him going and he wouldn't have been able to audition for Star Trek. So there's any number of pivots here. And but like I love this idea of using the cultural database as like a map of where you are in the in the universes. And so I kind of like this. I'm going to play. We want to play with this. So like I've got a couple that I often think of, which is the universe where Jodorowsky makes Dune. Good, bad universe. Uh, so we're pl- so the game is we're going to change the culture okay. the cultural item will follow the transition that it did like cuz there's a few of these like things that almost happened in movies that were almost made 
And right, right. So we're assuming that things went on roughly the same trajectory otherwise. Or if that is the Shatner in Star Trek mere indication that we are in the Terran universe, which we can just what call is that? that shatification. Sure, it is the shatter. So no, we're no. not. I can't, I'm not. I'm not super sure. I'm. Com- we're allowed to say that even on the internet. Shatification. So when the shat is it? Is it a shatification? Which direction? Uh, what is the valence of the shatification? Yeah. The the shattening. <laughs> is the universe we are in where the movie that was made the better or worse universe for any given one of these items? I've got a couple that I would like to bounce off you, though there's some y'all like or sort of uh, cultural moments worth picking apart the differences in seeing whether you like it better or worse because it's fun to play a game. All right. So, yeah, Jodorowsky's Dune, better or worse? Inherently better. Anything Sting is in improves this universe just considerably. So, all right. So, you know, so you you believe that the uh, the the Lynch version is the superior and should be is like the correct version of the dune film notwithstanding they're definitely just going to get it wrong again he's god damn at osama bin laden in space it's not a story about a good person uh but it's real hard to make a movie where the hero is the bad guy yep i like that one a lot all right tom cruise as iron man no thank you that that's the mirror universe split yeah that is that is some mirror universe shit for sure so so, yeah. so here's here's yeah. my here's my fanfic for that, right? If Major Barrett had succeeded in correcting the timeline and the shattening had not occurred, that would have been the next attempt. Was was Tom Cruise's Iron Man would have been the next attempt to split off the mirror universe. Oh wow. God help us. That makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, obviously Tom Cruise has nowhere near as much charisma as Robert Downey Jr. That would be a step down. And and it, it it turns out like that's even worse, right? Because it makes it even worse universe. So like correcting the yeah. first problem actually made it worse, and you've got to send more agents back to correct that problem. You know, right. this is the like third act crisis. This is just butterfly effect. Suddenly now. you got people just killing Hitler and going, no, 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 not right now. Hold on, wait. No, it doesn't do. It doesn't do what you think. It gets worse. Okay, damn it. You show up with a brochure. We dialed in the Hitler. This is the exact amount. Please stop killing him. We've got it. It gets way worse if you kill him earlier. There's like a bell curve of ideals point of the ideal point to kill Hitler. Right. So I was just thinking like a heat map of how much Hitler you need to have the correct universe. We've dialed it in. All right. Welcome to the seminar. It's okay. You will have time after the seminar. You have a time machine. You're like, oh, you're right. And then you sit through the seminar. You're like, oh, shit. Yeah, we should get these brochures out. Oh, no, the Russians get way too strong and they dominate the whole earth. Like, oh, fuck. You know, hear me out on this. They were communist at the time. Sure. No, I mean, I'm just saying which ways you turn this dial can go poorly. And I'll just, just, you know. Actually, now that I think about it, it probably would have been better off if Russia just got too powerful and took over everything. Because it's not like the United States did anything good with it. No, legit. I got nothing. So change one thing. Russia had the same gauge railroads as Germany. Like, they roll over Europe in World War One, right when the Soviet right. Revolution happens. Unfortunately, you'll have mm-hmm. to find a way to recast Battleship Potemkin to achieve this effect. Or does the Soviet Revolution <laughs> happen without like all of that dying in the winter against the Germans? Look, I, I came here to play a dumb game, not write a historical novel. <laughs> but this is actually I'm sure yeah. this I'm sure this exists. There's some more. All right. 
What else All right, here we go. So let's just say the writer's strike in the early aughts didn't happen. And like Heroes and a bunch of those sort of big prestige shows did not like uh, Battlestar Galactica, Heroes, Lost, and a few others just suffered massive traumas in the middle of their runs. Better or worse, if you had like a whole, if like Heroes had become the, let's do that one. If Heroes had become the superhero franchise, it was of culture that we all like that TV gave a shit about. Better or worse. Are we assuming that the writer strike didn't happen because it wasn't necessary because writers were getting treated fairly or are we Yes, let's assume let's because... assume that it okay. happened that it just didn't happen for the best reasons, not because Pinkertons came in and beat them to dead until they wrote. Not my writing hand. Oh, like sorry. they asked and they were just like, "Okay, sure, we'll do that." Like, "All right, you're <laughs> right. You do deserve more of the money." Well, Joss Whedon wouldn't have made that um, Midsummer Night's Dream thing. I think that's a positive in the whole you know? yeah. yeah, at this point, anything yeah. that prevents Joss Whedon from writing is an improvement. Uh, yeah, so. great for sure. Oh, no, I'm, I'm here for that. In particular, that one in particular just... Uh... How about Bill Murray as Batman? I That's an absolute improvement. Yeah, for sure. I'm down for that. I am so sad I never got to see Bill Murray Batman. Ivan Reitman directing with Bill Murray as Batman. That's so big. That's such a big fucking movie. I can't conceive of it. Like, like, no, I can't, they, no, I can't like, grasp the implications. Yeah, it's like, what a world. Because that changes the face of all superhero movies moving forward and comic book films. Like, they would immediately have made the goofy bullshit ones, like with the Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Jim Carrey one would have been so much different. Well, I think certainly Bill Murray as Batman fits much better with Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Sure, but I think those movies exist in contrast to the sort of this weird Tim Burton, like cartoonish, but then like real grim uh, thing. And I think that you wouldn't, I don't know if that's the tone that we would have ended up getting out of these movies, if that had been sort of their legacy. Can maybe. I complain about Tim Burton for just a second? Ooh, maybe. You're already on fucking rough ground for your generations right. talk, but yeah, come, let's come hear, get let's hear me you on out. Twitter. Come get me in Twitter if you want, you bastards. But <laughs> um, there's a quote from my favorite author, who I will not out here as a Tim Burton hater. His stuff annoys me because it's always like got this vaguely wholesome undertone, and that's not what I did a whole like eight years of being a goth for. Um, <laughs> so your complaint about Tim Burton is that he's too hope punk. Yeah, it's like uh, like the lesson is actually to conform in the end. You know, the lesson is actually to the problem was that you were thinking about it too much or something. You Are know? you kidding? The, the end of the lesson of Edward Scissorhands is hide yourself away in the mansion where you stabbed your dad and make sculptures instead of talk to anyone ever again. Well, that's a that's a kind Maybe. of conforming. It is. No, it's fair. Go back to your hole. Okay. Well, then on the other frame. The end of Beetlejuice. I mean. I think that's a perfectly functioning poly household. <laughs> I mean. I, I, anyway, we, we're distracted. We're so far. No, I see of, where you're going. I like that. I, I like this is a fair one. That's it. That's reasonable. All right. Uh, Toshiro Mifune as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Like we actually make fucking Star Wars into just a regular samurai. It's just a regular Kurosawa movie. So like George Lucas has nothing to do with it. No, George Lucas still directs it. He just gets a guy who's been in Kurosawa movies to be in the movie instead of Alec Guinness, who then gets to live the rest of his life not going, yeah, I was in that also. 
Can we just have Kurosawa Star Wars? Kurosawa makes a Star Wars movie yeah. is actually a far better. Kurosawa makes a space movie. Better like plan. We're dreaming. Let's just have the moon. <laughs> I think that's no moon. Ah, all right. Ah. All right. Wow. Who let me? Who let me do anything? Woo, that was so hot. Oh my god, my mic is smoking. <laughs> oh, please. Sorry about your headphones and your AirPods, everybody. We didn't mean to burn them out like they're that. burning. <laughs> oh, let's see. So we got a. Let's see if we got a couple more of these that are worth talking about. I know there were some of these. Oh, that's right. Uh, I believe it was Dave Chappelle was almost given the role of Bubba Blue in Forrest Gump. Can you fucking imagine? Oh gosh! Actually, no. that would have been awesome because baby boomers would have realized it was a shit movie. <laughs> Thank you. I hate that movie so much. Oh, it's much. such trash. But like, oh, so much. The, like the pandering would have been too obvious, and it never would have got on. So that is the good universe. The actual actor had a lot of trouble getting work, apparently, because they thought that his lip looked like that. But they made yeah, him wear a fucking thing. prosthetic. <laughs> oh no. Uh, would this have meant that the Chappelle show didn't happen or that it happened much earlier? Oh, it would have happened much earlier, but it would have been a different show. Yeah. What would Chappelle's show have been like in like 1992? Oh, would have been a lot more. I want to say Black Kids in the Hall, which is probably still pretty fucking good. Yeah. But if that's a that's a good one. A very, very strange ch change that could have happened. Could mm. it almost happened that. Mm hmm. It's so bad. It's so um, let's see who else we got that's worth doing. Robin Williams in Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. That would have been great. He that would have been excellent. amazing. Yeah. 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 Excellent dramatic actor. Did you ever see that movie? What was it? The um, the one where he played one hour the... photo? Yes. It's that, oh yeah, it's God. that character. You're right. Yes. He's, he's already done that character. You're right. Holy shit. Good job. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. Yeah. For I, sure. Yeah. That's one of my all time favorite movies. Specifically Me too. Because of Robin Williams. Yeah. He's so good. Yeah, absolute improvement. That's that is right, superior definitely. universe. Oh, so yeah, Robin Williams is definitely wins out over Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson still gets to be in Batman though, so it's he would play way cool against Milt Murray. So that's good. All right, here you go. Yeah, we're in the better universe for Dustin Hoffman not being in Blade Runner as Deckard. Oh, geez, yes, 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 we are. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, think what you will of, of of Harrison Ford. He's fine. He's neat. He's he's cool. He's pretty good at what he does, which is be hand, be a handsome comic book dude. But wow, Dustin Hoffman, no. Okay, okay, but where's the like? So hell is Dustin Hoffman. We're on Earth with Harrison Ford. Where's heaven? Oh, uh, and Rutger Hauer is every role. <laughs> 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 i feel like that's pretty obvious let's uh i think that i i mean i think leaving it on a universe where rutger hauer plays every role is kind of the future i'm hoping to create so i think this makes it as good a time as any to sign off is there anything y'all would like to tell people well, I mean, I guess we can do sort of our obligatory plug at the end of the show. If this is, for some reason, your first time listening to Gay Space, or uh, if this is, for sometimes, your first... If this is your first time listening to Gay Space Communism, how did that happen? Because I assume you would have started at one or with one of the guest episodes, <laughs> but you just dove in on, I don't know, let's hear him bullshit around about the parallel universe right. thing, because it's not super clear. Um 
So if for some reason this is your first time listening to Gay Space Communism, you have not heard about Not Safe Media yet, or perhaps you came here from Not Safe Media, in which case, great. Uh, but we are part of a podcast and live streaming network called Not Safe Media. Our flagship show is Not Safe for Wonks, which streams on Wednesdays. We also have a lot of other really, really cool shows. At this point, the lineup is so long that I actually cannot list them all. Um, but off the top of my head, Sentai Truther Club is great. We have Post Tech Radio hosted by Ada Powers. We have Meet the Left that's about to launch that's hosted by Kenzo Shibata. And last but not least... We, of course, have Wonks Prime, uh, which is the the all-time prime. That is our show on Wednesdays that I already mentioned. It's the show that I am on the most. Uh, it is the one that we sort of hung all of the rest of this off of. And I strongly encourage everybody to just go to notsafemedia.com, check it out, see what shows we have, see what we've been doing lately, uh, see what other kinds of amazing things we have coming up on the horizon. And if you really, really, really like us and want to, like, give us money, you can go to patreon.com slash notsafe. We are 100% listener funded. We are 100% creator owned. It funds at this point, basically just all of the services we use to distribute everything. Uh, and also maybe eventually someday we'll finally pay Ren who, hi Ren. Thank you, Ren. Love you're, you, Ren. you're our editor. You're wonderful. We love you. Ren we is love awesome. love you. Yeah. Uh, and that's basically all I got. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at ReachRachelCon or Hegelian versus Predator, if that's easier to remember. You can follow the show on Twitter at GaySpaceCast, or you can follow really any of us on Twitter. We're all cool. We have smart, smart people conversations. I just want to say, in addition to Wonk's Prime, check out Wonk's Mirror, which are our pro-business show. Uh, we'll tell you what stocks to buy, <laughs> what companies to invest in that are doing the worst, most horrible things to children. Most of them are Nestle. Spoiler alert. Anyway, that's Wonk's Mirror. And we can't forget that we're doing it on Twitch now, too. Oh, yeah, we are on Twitch now, too, which is great. You can find us basically everywhere, anywhere you can find a podcast, anywhere you can find a live stream. You can probably find us. And we love you. Thank you for being here. I don't actually love you, but I am very fond of you're listening to our stuff. Yeah, I mean, what I really love is your attention, but like that seems. Kind oh, of don't don't just... forget their money. No, it's important to set boundaries in this sort of parasocial. Yeah, fight. please pay us. Pay us money. This is true. <laughs> I would like to have more money always. All right. All right. I think that's a wrap. Remain Klingon, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>